This is the Green Steel Challenge. Hi, I'm Astrid Korf, and this is the Green Steel Challenge. My father, Willy Korf, revolutionized the steel industry in the late 60s with his mini-mills and his new energy-saving technologies. My mission today is to help make steel production greener. But what is green steel? How can we make it? And how can we speed up the progress? In this podcast, we will challenge the steel industry to get specific about how to get to zero carbon steel. We will meet global industry leaders to push the conversation and the innovation forward. Joining me on this journey are two of the keenest observers in the space, Dr. Mike Walsh and James Moss. Today's special guest is joining us from Mumbai in India. Let's welcome Mr. Sajan Jindal, Chairman and Managing Director at the JSW Group. Nice to see you too. Well, thank you, Astrid, and hello, Sajan. Perhaps we can start by you just describing for those people who don't know just how the extent of what JSW incorporates in terms of steel in particular. JSW Steel is uh, a, a company, steel company based out of India. And uh, it has uh, major plants in India. It's the largest steel company uh, in India. And it produces uh, 28 million tons of steel in India and 2 million tons of steel in the US and in, in uh, Italy. So all put together, uh, 30 million tons is the capacity. And actual production is around 28 million tons. Is all that greenfield or have you built it up over time? No, so it is, it's a mix of uh, greenfield. That is how I started uh, 25, 26 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I built greenfield steel plant. And, uh, and then later on, there were some uh, uh, additions through uh, inorganic uh, uh, acquisitions, through acquisitions, uh, con- uh, through consolidation phase. Uh, also in Italy and in, in the U.S., we acquired uh, existing assets and then modernized them and, and running them. So, yeah, it is a mix of both. That's pretty quick to get to that size in 25 years. And you've got some significant growth plans in addition, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, our our major growth plans are now in India. And because India is uh, growing as a country very rapidly, and uh, today, India is the second largest steel consumer in the world uh, after China, because India is a very large country and needs a huge amount of infrastructure. So therefore, the steel consumption in India is really, really uh, growing very rapidly. And uh, we are in the middle of it as the leading steel company. So, so we have uh, pretty major plans uh, in, the, in the years ahead to expand our capacity. Was that always the case? Was it always clear that India was going to grow like that and your future would be predominantly there? Or were you expecting to be more global? So there was a time when I was wanting to go more global. Then uh, in the meantime, India started to uh, to grow. Uh, of course, India was always a potential country. We always, uh, I always believed in India and I always believed that India one day will really start to gallop uh, as a country on the economic development front but uh, it it uh, you know the, by the time it it did uh, it has taken a long time so uh, but now it is surely the time has arrived when india really needs a large capacity expansion and and uh, and that's where it is so that's why now we are really focused uh, internally within india 
because this is where the market is and this is where the growth is. So therefore, we are uh, really focusing here. And the one thing I've always found particularly uh, interesting about JSW is the uh, incredible range of technologies uh, that you use. It's probably the most widespread within a major company. I mean, you literally have everything from conventional blast furnace, Corex, DRI, EAF, uh, special <laughs> alloy scrap. Thin uh, slab casting. Thin slab casting. Is this... Been a critical part that you use a variety of technologies, or is it just a case of testing out technologies, or is it very much a uh, let's see so, and learn from different technologies? We have all the technologies that exist on the planet for making steel. So, so therefore, and and the reason for that is that uh, I am a, myself an engineer, and um, and I I love technology and I like uh, to experiment with different technologies and different ideas and therefore uh, at different times different technologies came and uh, and I kept on uh, experimenting in that and that 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 drive continues even today as we speak so so yeah so uh, so, so so the idea was to to see and test which is the best technology which is most suited for us. And um, uh, from environment point of view, from uh, uh, carbon uh, emission point of view, uh, in, in from from cost point of view, in every way we we have been experimenting. Does that continue to be the case, or as you add larger and larger chunks of capacity, do you have to become slightly more conventional in your technology choices? So now we we have uh, two uh, very clear, uh, uh, let's say. Um, uh, streams of uh, uh, steel making, iron making and steel making. One is uh, a conventional blast furnace, coke ovens uh, with modern blast furnace, which we are putting in a lot of uh, R&D work in that, where we are going to recycle the gases that come out of the steel plant within the blast furnace to reduce our CO2 uh, emissions. So. So that is one uh, one aspect that we are uh, working on the existing blast furnace uh, capacity technology. On the other side, and also in this blast furnace, we are also working to inject hydrogen uh, and reduce the carbon footprint further. So our goal, uh, long-term goal, is that through the blast furnace route, well, whether we can bring down our CO2 emission to below one ton per ton of uh, crude steel. That's our internal target, that uh, through the conventional technology, we want to do that. On the other side, we have the uh, the DRI, uh, the, the DRI route, which is operated with natural gas or with blast furnace and coke oven gas. That is what we are operating today, or Corex gas. So our idea is to reduce, uh, the, so the natural gas would be replaced with hydrogen over time as an as the hydrogen uh, cost and technologies improve and the cost comes down, we will we will then run these uh, DRI facilities uh, using hydrogen and uh, and then melting in electric arc furnace with using renewable power and uh, and generate hydrogen using renewable power and make totally green steel without any CO2 emission. So these are the two technologies that we are working. But the second technology which I'm talking about. Uh, what we are doing now is that we are going to uh, we are setting up a steel plant already we are working on it which will be a 4 million ton uh, complete green steel plant 
uh, uh, using uh, 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 right now we will use natural gas and then we we will sequester the uh, the co2 yeah so uh, that's the first step but second step would be to feed hydrogen into the uh, in place of natural gas then we don't even have to do the sequestration of of uh, co2 right. that's that's the plan that we are having so uh, because we have to grow and therefore blast furnace remains the mainstay today uh, but we are through our efforts we are going to reduce the co2 emissions from the blast furnace today we are at about 2.2 2.3 co2 emission per ton of crude steel but we are very rapidly uh, bringing it down to 1.7 1.8 and then eventually our target is to bring it to below 1 somewhere around 1 and so also my understanding that you've signed up for a net zero in 2050 is that right that's correct yeah, yeah. so you've got uh, i've uh, read about a a 1 billion dollar project to reduce your emissions by uh, about 40% so that's more to do with the conventional then you've got the growth and the net zero in 2050 which would be more based on the, uh, the the new technology the second stream you just described is that is that my understanding so the 1 billion dollar that we are we have earmarked for is to reduce our carbon footprint from 2.3 today to 1.95 i mm-hmm. think by 2030 that is our stated goal uh, though we are tar- targeting we are trying to improve upon that and we will be i'm sure we'll be doing better than that uh in on the other hand the new greenfield green steel plant that we are planning to build is uh, not yet a part of the whole uh, plan as of now it is just very recent thinking that we are having to set up a altogether a greenfield uh, green steel project my key question in this is that uh, uh, india uh, as a state has signed up for net zero in 2070 JSW has signed up for 2050. Uh, what are the drivers, and, and why are you specifically uh, uh, going ahead of the game? And you don't really have to. I believe that uh, because we have to uh, build new steel capacities in India, right? We are uh, still building new capacities. So I, I think that we can take a, a sort of a, we can lead the world into making green steel. We when when we have to invest into a new steel plant in any case. then why not build a steel plant which is of the future which is futuristic and uh, and which we don't have to scrap after a few years and then build a new technology so so therefore uh, we are keeping that really uh, all our new investments that we will do will keep in mind that eventually 2050 we have to go net zero so therefore uh, let us design the plants in a way which can which can be easily converted into a net zero a kind of plants it's very much a, a self discipline that uh, that's driving you uh, and your let's say moral outlook and obviously uh, the technology uh, you want to be cutting edge so that means it's going to be net zero yeah no so so yeah because i i believe that uh, you know it is uh, un- unless the large companies uh, take up that uh, responsibility on on their shoulders Uh, it is very difficult uh, for uh, the world to become uh, you know uh, um, uh, carbon neutral or uh, you know so so therefore it's a kind of a moral responsibility 
as well as I believe that even on the economic front, it, it might turn out to be more uh, profitable to, to manufacture green steel versus uh, the gray steel that we are making today. Yeah. This, that's my feeling, though today the, the, the stats don't, don't stack up to prove my point, but, but I believe that is how it is going to um, uh, span out. How do investors, and particularly the ESG part of the investment community, look at your process? It involves large amounts of capital investment. Some of the technologies are not entirely proven. Um, there's some technological risk in, in what anybody's trying to do to get to net zero. What are your conversations like with investors? Is it are they four square behind you? Are they concerned about the cost of getting there, or how how do they talk to you about it? Today, uh, the the whole world is getting very uh, very sensitive about it, and are are uh, very supportive um, about uh, the uh, the global warming as well as so every investor, every pension fund in the world, every. Uh, uh, everybody wants to invest their money in in a responsible company and in a in a company which is sensitive about the environment so therefore uh, i i believe that this is uh, uh, going in the right direction and we we find that the, the there is no problem about getting the investment in our company mm. From another stakeholder standpoint, we've heard from uh, from others about how once the organization is focused on a green steel track, recruiting young people into the, the organization becomes much easier. They want to be associated with uh, technically advanced uh, and uh, responsible uh, environmental uh, practices. Do you, do you find that too? India is a very young country and obviously you're going to need a lot more people to, to support the growth that you're envisaging? India, uh, as you rightly said, is a young country and we have a lot of young population. So so getting uh, young people to work in our companies is is not a problem. So that's uh, unlike in Europe or in the US, uh, mm -hmm. in India, that's, that's not an issue. But uh, but, you know, if we if we if we if we are responsible and we talk about uh, the all the uh, uh, green steel and the technology that we are using, we attract uh, much better quality talent in our in our company. And and also we are able to motivate our teams in a much more productive way than uh, if you were doing the business as usual. How critical is JSW Energy under the same ownership, of course? Uh, do you think that is an absolutely critical part in order to, for you to procure your renewables and uh, uh, on the rest of your energy? So JSW Energy is a quite uh, nice company, as in uh, it is already doing about 10 gigawatts of uh, renewable energy is already uh, producing and uh, developing uh, new plants. And uh, so so, it, so this company is uh, already geared up to meet the demand for the steel company, whatever renewable energy would be needed for the steel company is, is uh, JSW Energy will be able to provide, including, uh, including hydrogen. They are in fact, as we speak, they are building a, a 25 uh, megawatt uh, hydrogen pilot plant in one of our steel plants to feed uh, hydrogen into our steel mill to, to just to uh, uh, you know see the uh, uh, proof of uh, application how it, it, it how it behaves 
And you owning this company, obviously, is making this much, I won't say easier, but you know what I mean, uh, than if you were just going to the uh, Indian market to get this uh, energy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're talking about getting to less than a tonne per tonne of crude steel in, in your conventional route, or say conventional route, state-of-the-art version of uh, a conventionally reduced iron. How important is the quality of the materials that you're using and how do you beneficiate them um, in order to support that process? And I guess related to that question is what role does scrap play in, in the Indian material balance? In the, uh, the the quality of raw material in a conventional process is uh, not of that uh, major criticality. The, though uh, we do beneficiate our our iron ore before we uh, put them in the, in our in our blast furnace uh, through pelletizing plant, uh, um, but uh, still uh, it it can handle a lower grade of uh, raw materials. Um, so therefore, that that's the strength of the uh, blast furnace uh, route. Uh, on the on the other hand, when we go for uh, DRI process, there we will have to have a very high quality of iron ore. So we will have to beneficiate it much more, and we have to create a very high quality iron ore before we put it to the DRI. That's that's one negative of the DRI yep. uh, technology. But then we will have to live with it. Yes. On the scrap, unfortunately, India, because we have not consumed much of the steel in the past, so we don't uh, uh, generate scrap. There's recycling of scrap is right now not very high. It takes about 20 to 30 years before the scrap starts to get recycled. So I think by 2030 or 2035, the scrap recycling will start and we will then start using scrap. Today, we don't use any scrap in our, uh, any bought out scrap in our uh, steel mills. The iron ore in India can be used ultimately in a DRI context? Can be, but uh, we will have to beneficiate it in a much better way. Yeah. But it'll be very, it will be relatively difficult to use in, our, uh, in the DRI, Indian iron ore in the DRI. Mm -hmm. So at JSW, we are already looking to invest in uh, iron ore projects in Australia and in Africa. Uh, which are magnetite iron ore, yep. which will be beneficiated to make 67 to 69 FE material, which would be used in our green steel. So you think India will have to become a, a, a net importer of at least quality iron ore over the next 20, 30 years? Yeah, for sure. And when we talk about making green steel, then we would we would have to. Apart from those not insignificant uh, issues that we talked about, uh, what are the other major constraints and issues that uh, that worry you and keep you awake as you get to 2030 and then to 2050, Sajan? What keeps me kind of awake in the night is the excitement of uh, building more capacity and meeting the demand of the country. And uh, so those are all on the positive side. And of course, the technology development, because I feel that uh, you know it's a great opportunity uh, that we have as as a, as a company as a country and as a world that we have to now work towards building new energy new source of uh, energy in place of fossil fuel to renewable energy so it's it's quite exciting there's so much work to be done so much happening so it's quite interesting uh, do you think the industry is going as fast as it should in India, yes, they yeah. are. I mean, they are growing, uh, but uh, but I think the pace is only going to pick up. 
And do you see uh, any new players coming into the Indian industry? Or will it be this mix of, uh, well, obviously we've got Arsenal Mittal now and Nippon Steel, but we've got the state uh, industry and, and private players like yourself. Do you think there's going to be anybody new or is it going to be mainly those guys uh, take up the, uh, the mantle? I think uh, more or less all the uh, uh, big steel companies of the world are in India. Um, I mean, ArcelorMittal, Nippon Steel, ourselves, Tata Steel, then state companies are there, but those companies probably will get disinvested over the next uh, five to 10 years. Uh, and that that's for sure happening. So uh, yeah, more or less everybody's already here other than the American new core, uh, which I doubt whether they would look at India as because they have a strong home market in, in the US. Mm. So, so otherwise everybody else is here. There's a lot of um, technology exchange, uh, both generally in the steel industry, but in particular uh, 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 with JSW. How important is it for the developed economies to share and to support what you're trying to do in India? It is, it is important that we must, uh, because the developing world is the one which is uh, going to develop the uh, new factories and new production stuff like that. So whereas the developed world, the West is already uh, doing it. So, so it's, it's important that they share the technology, but, uh, but, but today, interestingly, um, the, uh, the, the technology supply providers uh, are, are available at a cost. So you, you pay and you can get the technology. So, so it's not, not that important that they, they must share the technology, but but they must they, the platform must should be open it should not be a restrictive platform because eventually we are talking about uh, saving the world yeah exactly and i think that that's very much you know the motivation bef- behind the podcast is to have extend that message to as many people as possible that this is a massive a massive task uh, exactly. for the industry and for individual companies yeah countries in uh... Asia have the uh, advantage of A, of being able to look at what's happened in the US uh, industry, which has primarily been an economic change, almost independent of uh, environmental issues, until recently at least. And then obviously the the massive seismic change that is going through uh, Europe right now, uh, you've got assets in both of those regions, so you must be looking and trying to understand exactly what is going on, especially Europe, which, uh, as far as I can see, is like a giant test bed with the entire global steel industry looking at it to see what is going to happen here. Is this going to work? Yeah, I mean, uh, Europe I, right now is going through a uh, structural change. I mean, United States, I think, is quite uh, uh, sorted in the sense that they know what they're doing and and they are quite uh, uh, organized. In the US, in, in Europe, I think uh, because of the fact that these are, though it is uh, uh, one union of European Union, but still they are different countries and they have different, uh, different thought processes. So uh, there, I think the steel industry is struggling in Europe. And there's a lot of uh, to and fro happening between the governments uh, and the industry. To how to how to handle it. So I think Europe is is past going to be uh, going to be finding it more difficult. Yeah. Generally speaking, is my understanding about fifty percent uh, of this huge capital budget that Europe is expending uh, is going to come from the state or, or or the EU? 
is the uh, Indian government putting in as much uh, finance and other support that you would like for your process? India is a slightly different uh, situation. Uh, mostly the uh, government will not uh, provide uh, the capital subsidy uh, for large kind of uh, subsidy for incentivizing this kind of uh, business. But what uh, probably what we have been recommending is that there should be some sort of uh, give and take as in uh, that, uh, you know, you uh, penalize the uh, coal users if they're using coal or fossil fuel users, you put a tax on, on coal and then whoever is making green steel, then you give that incentive to the green steel uh, production. So, so therefore you take from one pocket and give it to the other pocket. That's, that's the kind of proposal that we have given to the government. But uh, the government is moving in that direction, but, uh, but a little bit slowly. But, uh, but that's, that's kind of happening. So whilst uh, JSW has signed up to uh, 2050, India itself has signed up to 2070. Uh, do you think the Indian steel industry as a whole uh, will be uh, net zero before 2070, like, like yourselves? The larger steel companies will certainly be. But India also has this uh, yeah. small-scale steel companies, which are uh, plenty of steel companies. So there are going to be some debate, some discussion, because that this this calls for a complete change in uh, technology for them, uh, which cannot be uh, improved without uh, scrapping all that uh, project. So that's going to be one challenge, which which is uh, which government of India will have to address. Yeah, that raises the issue, and, and one of the issues we see in in Europe that in order for the industrial structure to change, there is an enormous amount of dislocation, whether of small incumbents uh, as in India or its dislocation of labour from heavily labour-intensive processes in Europe. I live and work in the US. The way we look at it from there is that Europe kind of preserved the entities and didn't allow sufficient of that disruption to take place in order to move to electric arc furnace, for instance, over that period. Whereas in the US, there is a uh, there is a long tradition of creative destruction, if you will, uh, of an industry. Uh, where do you think India stands on that spectrum? So in India, uh, because we have not yet uh, come to that stage where um, we allow this kind of... So first of all, Getting state support for for changing the technology is not likely to happen in India. Uh, it will, if if at all, it will happen. It will happen only through um, uh, through subsidy uh, through uh, cross uh, uh, taxation. Yeah. Uh, that means, yeah. So, uh, but uh, so there won't be any subsidy, and also it's it's pretty hard to scrap industry. Uh, uh, enterprise, industrial enterprises in a country like India. So, so it's going to be very challenging uh, going forward for India if India has to get to 2017 net zero target. Uh, then steel industry must uh, get to net zero by 20, if not 50, then at least by 2060. Mm. So the big ones probably will become net zero by 2050. But I don't know about the small ones how to how to handle that. That only time will tell. As an engineer, I mean, you, you've gone through a long list of, of technologies. You've deployed a lot of them. What are the technologies that you're most excited about? Is it, is it carbon capture? Is it hydrogen? Is it, are there technologies that we're on the cusp of deploying that nobody's really talking about? Or do we have to look beyond 2030 to start 
seeing some any real progress. So I'm actually really uh, looking forward to a breakthrough technology in producing hydrogen. So today the technology that exists is uh, is very uh, expensive because it consumes uh, per kg one kg of uh, of hydrogen consumes uh, 50 units of uh, electricity, mm-hmm. 50 kilowatts of power. So which is I think not very efficient way of uh, breaking the water molecule. So we need to find some sort of a fusion or some sort of some some technology breakthrough that that I'm really looking forward to, uh, which would make uh, hydrogen in a much cheaper way than what it is today through electrolyzers that's happening. That's where I'm really excited about. And and our company is discussing with a number of uh, labs globally, and we are supporting them. From, uh, we are investing in such labs to uh, which can do this uh, development. Yeah. So India is setting itself up as a hydrogen economy in a broadly similar way that Europe is uh, right now? Right now in India, we don't have any such uh, pressure like in Europe, which is uh, already announced that by 2026, they will introduce the uh, carbon tax, uh, the CBAM uh, on on all steel. So therefore, uh, they they have a complete, uh, these uh, uh, European steel industry has a path which is defined for them that over the next 10 years, they have to get to whatever zero or whatever levels. Uh, we don't have it yet as a, as government has not, there are a lot of discussion going on in our government, in the steel ministry, but uh, but it's not yet defined. And in terms of the, the growth of the steel industry that we've talked about, we've only talked about 2030, uh, where the uh, Ministry of Steel is uh, is espousing a capacity of about 300 million tonnes. Is anybody talking about numbers for 2040 or 2050 in terms of uh, the Indian steel requirement and uh, the Indian production to satisfy that requirement? 2047, India will become 100. India will be a 100-year-old country because uh, uh, since independence, we will be 100 years. So, uh, the uh, the the government of india has uh, prime minister modi has uh, uh, talked about it that by by that time india would be a developed country and therefore uh, uh, the discussion is that by the time india would be close to 500 and or even more than 500 million tons of steel production according to me it could be as as high as a 750 to a billion tons of steel but uh, I think right now they're talking about 500 million tons by 2047. And that is primarily to satisfy Indian demand. This is not uh, offshoring of steel in India by any means. No, no, no. only for to meet domestic demand. Yeah. Uh, are there lessons in that process that you take from the way China built out its industry over a very rapid period in the 2004, say, to 2016? So I don't think India will go uh, that route uh, because India is, uh, as as you know, is it's not uh, a top-driven economy. It's a bottom-up economy, yeah. democratic, and so therefore uh, India will grow at its own pace. And um, so so we will never grow uh, the China way in, in that pace. So it will happen step by step. 
It's incredibly impressive what you've already achieved. We've always considered India to be the kind of test case in this, that it has to industrialize. Um, it's the key component of uh, industrialization to peak steel, as it were, the last um, uh, sort of growth period of, of steel consumption. And I think because it's not top-down driven, the exciting variety of solutions to these problems is exactly what the world needs. So if we come back in a couple of years to talk to you again, um, uh, we expect to see a lot of dramatic changes. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Uh, in a couple of years' time, we will be able to talk much more about what new technologies we have used and how we are making green steel and how we reduce the carbon footprint. We, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm really very excited because um, because India is going to absorb much more steel. And if I can build that that green in a green way, that I will do my uh, my work very efficiently. So that I'm really really excited about that. That's inspiring, Good. and and we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you all. This was a really interesting discussion to listen to. In our next episode, we will welcome from Italy, Giacomo Mareschi Danieli, CEO of Danieli. 